Good morning, everyone. Good morning online. Welcome to Living Fellowship. So good to be here this morning. I'm glad you've come out to hear the word of the Lord. Appreciate you all very much. I think I'm going to get right into the word of God, though, this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Matthew, the third chapter. It was either last or the Wednesday before last. I talked to you about some things I would like to continue in that and uh, even come from a little different approach, add some things in here, and um, should be real good for everybody here today. We're going to talk specifically about repentance. What does it mean to repent? And so in Matthew, the first, uh, third chapter, and the first verse, it's a day where, as you'll see, Matthew begins to explain to us, John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching and he, he's baptizing. He's baptizing those that would come and confess their sins before him. And then he sees that not only the ones that were confessing their sins, but there were others there. There were Pharisees and Sadducees. And whether they were curious, there for accusation, uh, there to condemn what John was doing, they showed up at the baptism and he addresses them. Now there's some very rich things right here that we're going to go into. But in the beginning... Verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's preaching is the same what Jesus preached. After Jesus sent his disciples, he sent them with the same message, repentance unto water baptism for the remission of sins. All three. And notice, if you read this chapter up to where we really want to get to uh, verse Eight. But the whole chapter, John is uh, preaching repentance and water baptism for the remission of sins. This is the message that Jesus shares. This is a message that he gives to his disciples. And so it's pretty important to understand repentance or what does it mean to repent? If John's going to preach repentance, what is that? And I asked um, on that Wednesday, whenever it was, the last time I talked about this, I asked uh, the group online, if I was to ask you for a definition, a very short one, maybe one word or even two words, when I say, what does it mean to repent? Or what is the doctrine of repentance? Now, if you're going to uh, address the doctrine of repentance, you'd probably have to go into much more. But let's just keep it simple. And what is uh, the first thing that comes to your mind when I say repent? And almost unanimously, everybody online said turn. Or to turn, because we've been taught that. Well, I want to enhance that, add to that today with some, some good understanding that I believe really is going to bless you. And that is true. But I'm not sure if, Jen, did you answer that night and give me the answer I was looking for? No? Okay, it was your husband. We talked afterwards. Our deacon here, Mr. Gowett, uh, I got, he got a hold of me afterwards and said, man, the answer you gave or you was looking for, he said, I couldn't come off mute. I kept trying and trying and trying. I was going to say it, and, and I believe him. I'd take him at his word. He had, the, he had the right answer. But when I ask you, what does it mean to repent? Most people says to, to turn. But as you're going to see here today, and I've taught it before, true repentance is not just a turning, but it's a going to. It's repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So if you're just turning, you're only halfway there. And you could, you could turn, let's say like Paul at his conversion. Instead of turning into an apostle, he could have said, you know what, I've been a Pharisee my whole life. 
I think now I'm going to turn and be a Sadducee. You see what I'm saying? And, and for individuals, there are times when we turn from things of darkness, but we don't turn to the light. We turn to more things of darkness, if you understand what I mean. You say, well, I was in darkness, and there were thoughts in me that caused me to lust very heavily. And so I turned from that lust, and I got to a place where I had thoughts that said, I'm greater than everybody else. So I turned from lust to pride. That's not repentance, is it? you got to go uh, turn, repent from dead works and have faith towards God. And as I've taught it before, we'll look at Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the first two verses. There is a from and to. So you go from darkness to light. That's the correct way to do it. But I'm going to very specifically focus in on something here today with uh, repentance. And I think there's a word that Tim told it to me that's interchangeable here that we're going to look at. And the Bible talks a lot about it. That word is change. It says it's interchangeable. The word is change. So if you look down to when John sees, uh, verse 7, the Bible describes John's appearance there in this chapter and where he's baptizing and who come out to, to be baptized. In verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. Now I want to note something real quick. Look at that verse. Is that how you text? It's not an O-H, there's an O there. It was doing this in the Bible way before these iPhones and Androids or any of that stuff. Look, O, <laughs> generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And there's a prerequisite. There's something we must do to even be able to repent. He said, bring forth fruits, and notice that, plural. This is also in Luke, the third chapter. Both um, authors record it as, it's not just one fruit. He said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And God showed me what those fruits are. And you say, well, I know what those fruits are. They're the uh, tree of life has 12 manner of fruits. The leaves were for the healing of the nations. There's nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about. Um, it's each and every one of those. Actually, you know that all the law on the prophets hang or hinge on two commandments. All the Bible is fulfilled in two commandments. And this fruit that you got to bring to God or that John was looking for See, there was also a prerequisite. If you're going to wash away your sins, then you've got to confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You see how this works? But what's left out of here I want to bring to you today is, you say, well, the fruits, they're love, joy, peace, meekness, gentleness, goodness, temperance, long-suffering, and faith. There's nine of them right there. Which one do you want to pick? Well, what God showed me is the very first one. The very first fruit of the Spirit that Paul labels and that Jesus let us know is the first two and great commandments. It's to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul and all thy strength. The second is like unto it is to love Jesus as thyself. You say, wait a minute. 
You just replaced the word neighbor with Jesus. That's exactly right. And I taught this months and months ago. Have you guys, anybody been listening online? Uh, Pastor Dan's doing some classes in Chicago, some really good stuff. I would encourage you to, to take a listen. But he did, in one of those teachings, go into the neighbor. There was one that tempted Jesus and wanted to know, uh, who is my neighbor? And Jesus explained to him. It, basically, you can listen to him or you can remember what I taught already also. Because we really were in unity and complimented one another in it. It was the Samaritan that ministered to the man that had been wounded by thieves. The rabbi, the Levite, they passed by on the other side. The Samaritan, the minister, the one that came and took care of the wounded or the person that needed help at that time, the one that had been hurt and needed healing. Well, it's Jesus, of course, but what about who Jesus sends? Would your neighbor be the teacher? Would it be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher? Would it be those that God has given a precious word from heaven and sent to minister to those that are living infirmities, that are sick? You see, vanity is an evil disease. In other words, to be carnally minded is death. We need a healing from the way that we think. Who heals you? God heals you. Now, the way you want to look at this would be very good. This should be simple for you. Because the Pharisees proclaimed to believe in God. But Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. They claimed to, to love God. Many people claim to love God. But how can you love something you don't know? Now, remember, I believe it's John 14. Your answer to me is, I guess, to the best of my ability. Because wouldn't you like to know Jesus God better every single day. Let me do it this way. In John 14, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe in me also. Now, somebody might argue with you about that because you say, well, isn't Jesus God? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Absolutely. And then verse 14 of, of John, the first chapter, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and that as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the manifestation of the unseen, invisible God. So Jesus is God manifested. So if I'm going to love God, you see, there's a great mystery that Paul talks about. I believe it's uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, justified in the spirit. You can go read it. <clears throat> the main point is um, God was manifest. So God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Can you see a spirit? As a matter of fact, there's a couple scriptures in the Bible, I believe John covered them both times, and said no man has seen God at any time. You can't see God. You can only see the manifestation of God, which is the word, which is Jesus which made all things by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. So when you're saying, I love God, do you love God that you cannot see? And believe in him that you cannot see, that he is real, that he is true, and can you love him with all your heart? But then can you love his manifestation? Can you love his word? Can you love Jesus that you can see?
Not everybody did, did they? Not everybody appreciated Jesus' manifestation, did they? Not everybody believed he was God manifest in the flesh. As a matter of fact, one of their biggest problems with Jesus was you being a man maketh yourself to be God. So when I say in order to repent, you got to bring forth fruits, those fruits are love. But it's a love for God, the first and great commandment, and it's a love for your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know the way that that works out perfectly? You love God with your whole heart. When he manifests himself to you as his image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. When he manifests himself to you in something you can now, I use the word see, but how about perceive? You see God in the personified man of Jesus Christ. You perceive God as he is described in the scriptures as the word of God. Jesus even said at one point, my father and I, we're going to manifest ourselves to you. And they're like, how are you going to do that? His disciples did not understand that whatsoever. How many of you have had a manifestation of God come to you while you are in this lifetime? So I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about, Pastor Brian. Let me make it super simple. How many of you has God manifested his son, Jesus Christ, to? Now every single person in the room. You perceive that, right? Can you love God that's unseen and then love God that is perceived? Everything he shows you about himself through his son, through his word, I say you can. And I say that love can grow greater every single day of our life. So when we're talking about bring forth fruits, meet for repentance, anytime God calls us to a place to you could say turn, but I'm going to rarely emphasize today change. Because if you really repent, there's going to be a change that's there. Those that come to confess their sins and be baptized of John were looking to be changed, Carrie. They were no longer looking to be the servants of sin. They were looking to be free. They were looking to walk in the liberty of the Lord. They were looking to be changed into something that they had not been before. See, if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Can God manifest himself greater and greater to you every single day of your life? Yes, he can. If he's manifesting himself to you greater every day, is he changing your perception, your love of him every single day of your life? Isn't that beautiful? That, that's the greatest love story ever told. Somebody that would, see, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for us. God sent his son to do that for us. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. I'll never forget when I ate of the tree of life. And of course, I was in the spirit. I've never been able to find one here in the physical realm. I've eaten apples, oranges, peaches, fresh off of trees, cherries, everywhere I go. We, we like to eat fresh fruit. But this time I was in the spirit. I was in an experience of God. And God showed me his love for me. And you know what, Mike, stood out more than anything else in it was his commitment to me. That he was not going to quit. 
And he was not going to ever let me go, Bryce. He loved me so much. And this is where, you know, it's a special place in my heart about how uh, free will is a gift of God. Because he let me know, Jennifer, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, he said, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to wait for you. And I love you. And it was, it was just mind-blowing. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. When the Bible says God is love, God shows you his love. He manifests it to you. You ever just tell somebody haphazardly, hey, love you. And you know when you're done, that was just a word. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we get caught up in words that we say. And as, as men, you're talking to people and call them brother. Do I really mean that? You're my brother? Because shouldn't that word be pretty special to you? Or we use the terminology bro. Hey, bro, you're my brother. Well, are you really my brother? Are we really brothers? Do we believe the same? Are we just brothers from another mother? How's this working out for us? You see what I'm saying? But love is, is an action. You know, in the King James translation of the Bible, we're going to look at this. Your Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew and a little bit of Arabic into English. Your New Testament is translated from Greek into English. And in the um, Greek language, there's different words used for love. I think uh, in the Old Testament, well, the whole Bible, the word love is 311 times. In the Old Testament, uh, in the Song of Solomon, I think um, love is mentioned 26 times with David's son. In uh, the book of Psalms, 23 times. But in the New Testament, it's mentioned more. But do you know where it's mentioned the most? In 1 John and St. John. You think that was an accident? You know how John, when he writes his epistles, do you know how he, listen, this is so awesome. Right? This is how he looks at himself. And this is how you should too. You know how John describes himself? He never says it's me. But he describes himself, Edith, as the disciple that Jesus so loved. He knew that. He had that testimony. He had that love in his heart. He knew, I'm the one that Jesus so loved. Pretty fast on his feet, too. I think when it's describing him, it was that disciple that so loved him that outran Peter to the tomb. But he knew. He was the one that laid on Jesus' bosom just before his death. And they wanted to know, hey, what'd you say to him? What's it to you? Basically what Jesus told him. You know? He knew I'm the disciple that he so loves. Now, again, the most times love is in the New Testament is in St. John and 1 John. Okay? Now, the Greek language has different ways of describing love. Uh, we'll start from the bottom and we'll work upward. Okay? The word eros is um, a Greek translation for love, but it's more like a, a lust. It, it's, uh, that's where they get the word erotic, erotica from. And it, it's more of a lustful love. But then you got storge, which is a love for like a, a relative. I'm just going to use four of them here today. Storge is like you love for your, your son, your daughter, your, your family, whatever. 
phileo is a love for your brother. But agape. The agape love of God. Anybody ever read the love chapter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13? Where he uses the word charity? That's the agape love of God. That's the love that goes beyond all of it. That, that's the one that does, that works, that does things. In other words, like Jesus told the Pharisees, with your lips you do honor me, but your heart's far from me. So if you're loving God with your whole heart, it's not going to be far from God, is it? Is he going to have your heart? If he has your love, is he going to have your heart? Okay. So how many of you have ever had God call you to a place of repentance? I mean, it's a pretty powerful message. This chapter we're reading in Matthew 3 calls John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. He was prophesied in the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus. Think about this personally right now. Think about it for yourself. What was his message? Before Jesus comes to you, I need you to repent. I need you to confess your sins. And before any of that, guess what? The most important thing is bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. You come to me to have your sins washed away, forgiven, to be made new, to be made whole again. For two reasons. Because you love God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. And the second reason, because you love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, and you know, it's interesting because I, I referenced it already, but Jesus said, you believe in God, believe in me also. So you love God, do you love Jesus also? D do you love him, Tim, when he comes to teach you doctrine? Oh man, I love that doctrine. We're getting ready to talk about it. I love those teachings. Okay, how about the reproof? Ooh, not so much. Not so much. What about the correction? I don't like being corrected. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Some people are like that, aren't they? What about instruction, Sharon? So after I've reproved you and after I correct you, I'm going to tell you what to do? That's one way of looking at it. Or if you reprove me, now I can be corrected now you can instruct me in the way, the truth, and the life, and I can walk in light and not in darkness. Isn't that a much better attitude? So do you love God enough, even though you can't see him, to trust his work that he's doing? Hmm? You see, if you look in, in the scriptures, not every single person that's named in the scriptures did God manifest himself to. You understand what I'm saying? Did God talk to people by dreams and visions? Absolutely. Did he send prophets, holy men of God, as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost? For sure. Women also, right? Who was the judge in Judges? Deborah? Were there, there women that showed up at the tomb? Did Mary have a testimony that she had, uh, had that alabaster box and she washed Jesus' feet with her tears? And She does, huh? But not every single person is talked to like that. What about Israel? God didn't talk to all of Israel separately. What would he do? He'd say, I'm going to choose a high priest named Aaron. 
and his brother Moses, I'm going to give Moses a law, I'm going to give Aaron the opportunity to come and hear my voice and to confess God's people's sins. And then I'm going to tell him what to say to them. I guess my question to you here today is, do you love God enough if God's not talking to you how you expect him to talk to you, to believe and hear me and what God's saying to me? Has it been proven to you enough? Has God manifested himself enough to you where you can believe that not only I hear from God, I'll say all our elders, they hear from God, but they can manifest God's word to you and you can, you can love that? I'll explain something to you. I don't ever want anybody here to worship me. Ever. But if I bring you the word of God, can you love me? Can you bring me fruits, meat for repentance? And, and it's not about a physical man thing, Mike. It, it's God. As far as I'm not saying I'm God whatsoever. I know better than that. But if God gives me a word, if God gives me a thought, if he gives me the fruit to bring to you that's meat for repentance, can you accept that from me? Huh? Because that's what's going to change you. Go with me to First Corinthians, oh, Second Corinthians three. You want to look at the very end of the chapter. Second Corinthians, let's say the seventeenth verse. <clears throat> oh, very interesting. This whole chapter is such a a good read. Verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. What changes us? The spirit of the Lord does. It's from glory to glory. Do you know Paul described in his epistle to the Roman church that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith? So, Tim, for you to walk in the right things of God, God, by his spirit, does it by faith to faith. Each word you receive, Mike, each word of faith, Jennifer, you receive, God's showing you something that's right. But before you can walk in faith towards God, there's a prerequisite. You got to repent from dead works. And I don't know if we're going to get to turn there today, but Hebrews uh, 6 and 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, Paul labels out, I say it that way, Paul labels out six principal doctrines. When he says, let us go on into perfection, he starts with repentance from dead works, and he goes all the way into what? Eternal judgment. And then the next thing, seven, perfection. So there's a start. What's that start? So you got six principal doctrines right there. They're the doctrines of Christ. But there's only two foundational ones. Go back and read it and look at it. Repentance from dead works. Let us leave the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So if you're saying, okay, I am going to repent of the dead works. Well, what is that? You know, this sounds facetious to you, but what about if a person said in their mind, I'm going to prove to God I love him, Mike. I'm going to prove to him. Every single day when I get up out of bed, I'm going to tell God 200 times, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. 
And that's my way of, of showing God, telling him I love him. Could that be a dead work? Could that just be something you put yourself under a law that God never required of you? In other words, with your lips you do honor me, but your heart's far from me. You just made a dead work. And I know I'm being kind of facetious there. But, but how would you actually show God that you love him? See, we love him because he first loved us. What God showed me is his love is a commitment. It's never ending. It's not, it's a made up mind. I don't come, I don't care, come hell or high water. I'm going to live for God forever. And you know, when God showed me that, Tim, I prayed and said, Lord, I want to live for you forever. If, I, if I'm not living for you, then kill me. Get me out of this life. I know there's no reason for me to be here. I'm 25 years old. And thank God he didn't kill me. <laughs> but I was serious and I prayed with my whole heart. I, I, I don't want to live here anymore without you. I love you. I'm going to make a commitment to you. I'm going to live for you forever throughout eternity. Because he showed me his love is that way, Jennifer. He, he was always going to be there, never ending. No matter what I did, no matter what I said, he would wait for me. That's what he showed me. And that's what he said to me. How, how can you turn away from something like that? Religion tries to get you to. But not when you know God. Huh? You make a commitment. No matter what. Even prayed, and I know the Lord inspired the prayer... If I have to be a vessel of dishonor, Lord, if, if I end up in hell, burning in hell, I was a young man at the time, I didn't know how everything worked, that's what they told me, so I said it to him like that. If I have to burn in hell as a vessel of dishonor, Lord, you're right, and you're righteous, I'm ready to go. You, you judge it. If that's what I need, then execute that judgment. And Tim, that kind of honesty before God, and that kind of love and commitment to God, God did that for me, I didn't know know what love was I didn't I didn't know what love was at all before I met God I looked for it in all the wrong places I'll tell you that much but when God taught me his love and I ate of that tree repentance began immediately and, began, and God began to do something for me very special something I couldn't do Mike you know what he did I'm going to read it to you right now now, now, what I read right now, some people are going to say, you can't add to the word of God or take away from it. Have you read the book of Revelation? The, all the curses in the Bible are going to come on you for doing something like that. Listen, if you would get out of a pharisaical mindset under the law, you would see that I'm not changing the word of God. I'm changing your understanding and delivering you from confusion. I'm giving you understanding and removing confusion. Watch, listen to me. We already read this, I'm going to do it again. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is change. It says liberty. Listen to me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is change. <laughs> you know, Bryce, God loves you exactly the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like that, son. He's going to change you. He's going to raise us up. Listen, dude, what does he raise us up into? Do you think God loves Jesus? Do you think he loves his only begotten son? 
Well, he's changing you into Jesus' image. How much greater can that be? Huh? How much does God love me? Carrie, how much does God love you right now? As much as he does Jesus. Listen to me closely. Because he's changing you into his image. He loves you, Aunt Diane, as much as he loves Jesus. That, have you ever thought about that, Jim? God loves me? Mike Green? Do you know the things that Mike Green does? A lot of good stuff, huh, Mike? But he loves you, Mike. He loves you like he loves his own son. And that's why he's continually working to do what I'm going to read for you right here. But we all, with open face, beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Wait a minute, what? The same image, Merle? The same image? Uh, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, real quick, I don't got a lot of time, so I'm just going to address this real quick. You know that in Paul's previous book to the Corinthian church, in what we call the resurrection chapter, which would be 1 Corinthians 15, do you know he addresses this glory to glory? Because you're going, well, what does that mean from glory to glory? He says there's one glory of the terrestrial body, there's another glory of the celestial. There's a glory of the sun, the moon, the stars. There's different bodies, there's different glories. You know there's even a glory of the flesh? Paul in righteousness gloried in his flesh. He knew how to do that. Maybe we'll talk about this sometime. But think about that. Celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Heavenly, right? What about terrestrial? Is a flesh of what? Birds? Fish? Man? Beast? There's different glories there. But here's the key. Here's the key. In that chapter, that resurrection chapter, he said, behold, I'll show you a mystery. What's that mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is change. The liberty that we're talking about is not, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I can smoke, drink, cuss, do whatever I want to. That's not the liberty. The liberty is you can walk in the change that God has prophesied to you, that he has prepared for you, that he is working in your life. You can walk in that glory, in that liberty. Isn't that awesome? And this is the work of the Lord I'm sharing with you today. And you know how it begins? With Jesus. It begins with prophecy. It begins with the word of God. But it also begins with the first and great commandment. Bring forth that fruit. You know you have sin. That's what John... Only the Pharisees didn't think they had sin. You know you have sin. So bring forth fruit. Bring forth the love of God and of Jesus. So I can baptize you in water. And wash away your sins. Because there's one that comes greater, that's greater than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you do every single thing you do in your life for God, because I, I just love you. I love you, Coley. God is my father. I love you as my savior, Jesus Christ. I just love you. I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything. 
See what I'm saying? We recently talked about people counseling them, themselves. If the Spirit of the Lord's not in that, you know what that is? It's a dead work. What's the word of the Lord to you? Come and love me and turn from it. But listen, what if you're, what if you're turning to another ideology or another thought on how to fix yourself? Are you going from glory to glory? No, you're staying in the terrestrial mind. You're staying in darkness. You, oh, I gotta show you something real quick, and I'll close. Listen to this. There has to be a change. Here's the change. I'll read you two scriptures. John five and twenty four. This is Jesus. He said, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me." Hath everlasting life. You hear, you believe. Everlasting life. Is that sounds pretty simple? You hear, you believe, everlasting life. And shall not come to con and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What if you're a change, Jennifer said? What if you're continually trying to fix your carnal mind with the carnal mind? There's no change, is there? You say, but I repented. I give a good examples earlier, maybe from lust to pride, maybe from anger to hatred, maybe even let it manifest as far as murder in your mind. That's really, you say, but I turned. You haven't passed. You haven't passed. 1 John 3 and 14. We know, I want you to keep this dear in your heart, I'm done here. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren he that loveth not his brother abideth in death love God I'm going to leave you with this right now okay keep us in the right perspective love God love Jesus I want every single one of you to look at me love me any questions